And hello, everybody, and welcome to Sister to Sister. This is the place where women of color, my friends and I, get together to chat a little bit about the experience of being a person of color in the United States and around the world. And, you know, it, now more than ever, it's important because, you know, we hear so much about what's going on in the world in terms of Black Lives Matter, in terms of disrespect for people of color, and about systemic racism and white privilege. And there's so much noise about all of this and so much disagreement and argument about what's true and what's not true. So I thought the only way that we can really get to the facts and the truth is to hear from people who experience racism on a regular basis. And that's not me. I was born white, socialized white, look white. And I do know I have privilege. I didn't know it until I started really listening to people of color and hearing what I just couldn't see because I don't walk in those shoes. So it's my pleasure today to introduce you to the beautiful Monique Blake. Monique is a, I love that you call yourself, she's a well-being educator, coach, and consultant. And she lives right now in Stamford, Connecticut, but like me, she's from South Florida originally. And like me, she's not crazy about the cold. <laughs> so the, <laughs> the cold is coming. And really she is, her passion is to blend modern techniques and ancient wisdom that empower individuals to cl claim their ultimate well-being. You know, we're human beings on the planet having spiritual experiences. And what uh, Monique is all about is, I love this question. She helps women in particular. Now she works with everyone, but I know she, she really does uh, great things with women which works out perfectly being I'm at Women's Prosperity <laughs> Network, right? Um, and she helps women confidently answer the question that Mary Oliver, the poet, asked. And the question is, tell me, what is it you plan to do with your one wild and precious life? And she's known, she's a champion for vibrant living and she loves to teach and share simple practices and effective lifestyle strategies to help women fully express their radiant health and wellness. So I'm so excited to have you with us today. And I really appreciate you being here. It's interesting, you, we were just talking before we got on how, uh, I'm from the Northeast. I grew up in uh, Brooklyn, Long Island. And when you said you were in Stamford, Connecticut, I was like, oh, that's a nice place. I actually worked there, but I said, it's really white, isn't it? <laughs> it's really white. <laughs> But you said to me, the cool part about it was tell them what you were saying about um, the way the government of Connecticut works. Yeah, I, I was telling, um, you know, I was saying that I am so grateful to be here during these very unusual times because, you know, Stanford and Connecticut has really been on target with um, taking care of their citizens and assuring our safety. So, you know, for me to be here um, on my own it really gives me a sense of comfort to know that, you know, our health and well-being is really a priority. Yeah, that's so, a good feeling. Yeah, it is a wonderful feeling. Yeah, and it's so interesting because you're right across the border. I mean, I lived in Queens and for me to get to Stanford was like 
70 minutes, maybe an hour I could do it. So you're right on the border of New York. Yeah, I often worked in the city and I I really haven't been back since March. So um, yeah, yeah. But uh, New York is wonderful and ever resilient. So Uh, absolutely. New York tough. Yes. New York tough. Well, the reason I even mentioned that was because um, being so close to New York and what they were experiencing in terms of losses of life and people, I mean, Connecticut did a great job in making sure that that didn't happen in Connecticut. So, Yeah. yeah. So again, I am just grateful. I really am grateful for, you know, everyone that, you know, went out of their way to make sure that our health and well-being was a priority. Yeah. Well, I'm grateful for you and I'm grateful that you're here. And, you know, when I invite people to the show, I don't take it lightly because my very first guest, Leslie Warren, hi, Leslie, uh, in Tallahassee, she really gave me a schooling and she helped me to see that I'm really asking you to open up wounds and things that have happened in your life that aren't exactly nice to talk about. So with my whole heart, I appreciate you being willing to share your experiences. And I'm just gonna turn it over to you to share what it is you'd like to share with the audience. Well, you know, Trish, I wanted to start off by saying thank you for having this platform um, because I don't think, you know, prior to this, um, this, you know, unusual time that we're going through that there was really a space in a room for this kind of discussion. So thank you. Um, That's the first thing I wanna say. And yes, I do agree with what Leslie said in that it is opening up a room, you know, a deep wound. You know, when I think about it, I equate it to like, you know, having a suitcase. I don't know if you remember those huge trunks that you used to see in the transatlantic, uh, you know, when people, you know, did that transatlantic trip. Yes having that huge trunk and just having it full and overflowing and barely able to close it and shoving it in the darkest part of the basement and then putting a brick wall, you know, around it and then having to, you know, be able to just to be able to show up and live, you know, uh, uh, your life and then to have to chip at it, you know, to kind of open up that, that wound again, it is quite painful. And the other thing that I want to say, it's not only the wounding, but the other part of it, the other end of it is that, you know, historically, when there's any type of advancement for people of color, that it's followed very closely by backlash. Mm -hmm. And so that is the other part of it. You know, we can go through our history, not only in this country, but around the world and you know, one step forward is, you know, there is a response to that one step forward. Yeah. So, you know, we can look at Jim Crow, we can look at, you know, just uh, the the burning of black towns and cities, um, lynching, um, the incarceration of black and brown men Mm-hmm. And, you know, very recently, the next thing was the incarceration of black and brown women. So that, um, that, that is also a part of the dynamic. It's not only the reopening of the wound, but also the, the um, persistence 
in the backlash that yes. follows any any level of progress. Yes. So that is a part of, you know, why, you know, and I told you before, I said, you know, I've done so many talks. I've done lectures in countries where I didn't speak the language and had to do it in the language. And I had to do it into an auditorium filled with people. And I have never been so nervous about doing a presentation like I am coming into this session. Yeah. Well, so. I honor you and appreciate you more than you could ever know. And um, I don't take lightly your willingness to share. I do not take it lightly. And uh, I know that our audience appreciates it too. And it may, you make a difference. Yes, thank you. Just saying that is, you know, a bomb <laughs> to the spirit. So I appreciate that. You know, I, I was thinking about what stories to share today and it got overwhelming. I mean, I, you know, it's not just work, it's, you know, day-to-day -day life. It's showing up as a woman of color in my neighborhood. It's showing up as a woman of color in the store. Um, it's showing up as a woman of color, you know, anywhere that I go. Um, and having to deal with the response of just simply being a woman of color. Um, I lived in a gorgeous uh, uh, city in South Florida and I loved driving down. You know, when I first moved into the, the city, I loved dri driving down the main strip because it was just covered with trees. It was so beautiful. And it was this little piece of green that, you know, really, brought in a sense of nature. Um, and, but shortly after it, it got a little disturbing that tranquility was disturbed because you know there was hardly a day that would go by where you didn't see a truck you know, either in front of me or behind me that was waving that huge Confederate flag. Not a little sticker on the dashboard, but a huge Confederate flag. And so that, you know, again, you find this kind of idyllic setting and then, you know, being a woman of color, it kind of is disintegrated by these little things that you keep meeting and running into. Um, so that was definitely, you know, a pause. Um, also just the interactions in that, that one little road you know, um, with the police um, was also frightening. It, it came to a point where I was like, you know, I, I need to make sure that I'm home and off the roads at a certain time that I get home at a certain time because I didn't want to be pulled over um, and have to deal with the police. So um, yeah, it's just about, you know, showing up and in the world everywhere and having to respond constantly mm. to being a, a person of color. Yeah, that's yeah. the thing. It's the constancy of it. You know, yeah, it's, it's, it's always happening. It's always happening and it's always happening on a level that, you know, is so tricky to navigate. So the other story that I, I wanted to share was 
not something that was covert, but something that was overt. Um, and this was um, an experience I had at work. Um, at one of the um, positions that I had, I had a, a team lead who made overtly racist comments. Um, and there was a history of it. it. You know, it wasn't the first time. Uh, my predecessor was a person of Jewish faith. And that was also something that was a target for this person. Um, and, you know, it was constant. Uh, and I was just marveled because here I'm thinking, this is against the law. Right. <laughs> you know, this is not even something that there's no second guessing it, you know, the microaggressions, there's always, you know, this, you know, what's happening, but how do you, you know, actually prove that it's so subtle. It's right. so insidious, right. You know, but here is something that is not subtle. It is blatantly said in a room filled with people. Um, and this person still had an opportunity to retire. Um, you know, you know, when I spoke to um, her supervisor, the, the supervisor above her, it was simply a stack of complaints that this person had, and that was allowed. So, what did the supervisor say to you? There is nothing we can do. Basically, we're trying to get this person to retire. Why don't we fire this person? And that was my thought. I'm like, <laughs> this is not legal. This is again, discrimination is against the law, but you know, you know, so the idea that, you know, there's going to be this, this kind of, response, legal response to all acts of discrimination. No, I, you know, for me, I know there are a lot of them that fall through the crack. Well, and uh, this wasn't even falling through the crack. This was a decision by management not to do anything about it. It yeah. was a, because it was more challenging, which to me as a leader, as a manager, I'm thinking, why would I want to have this cancer in my workforce? Because I, what was it doing to everybody's morale and everybody's psyche? And it really, and I mean, the repercussions were greater than what I'm sharing. You know, it really had an impact on the student body um, and plus. So, um, yeah, it so was. So was this a teacher? I, yeah, it, it basically was. Wow. Yeah. You know, and so to me, that's the systemic racism that people talk about. Yeah. That it's just swept under the rug, that it's allowed to happen. What, what part of the country was it? Are you okay sharing that? No, I don't want to share. No, that's fine. That's yeah. fine. That's why I asked the question that way. <laughs> yeah. No, I get it. You know, and we don't see it. It's so, um, you know, how, I mean, everyone you worked with saw it. Yeah. But people who say, you know, that there's no racism out there don't see if they don't see what you're sharing, they still simply deny that it even happens. And 
clearly it did. And this person got the opportunity to retire with a pension or whatever, right? So what does that say? I mean, what does that say to every person who isn't that, who every Jew, every black woman, every black man, every Muslim, every Indian, every other person who wasn't the same ethnic background as this, it says that you're, you don't matter. Right. And so that's, you know, at some points you have to figure out, is this the greater battle? You know, and I'm like, you know, what do I get to take on this? Yeah. So if there's, you know, so much clear evidence of what is happening and nothing has changed, you know, there's a point where you say, who am I to really do this? If the whole system isn't going to back me, if the whole system is allowing this to happen, you're just going to put yourself out there and who's going to get hurt. It takes a lot of not just courage, but willingness to put your life on hold. Exactly. Really, because you, you put your life on hold if you're dealing with that, because then you have to deal with not just what's happening in the company that you're working with or the organization that you're working with, but every single person. And in the age of social media, yeah, it's a lot to take on. Yeah, it really is. Yeah, and I'm sure you've seen it over and over in your life. I have, I mean, I've seen it everywhere. You know, when I thought about what, you know, where did it start? There was no start date. It's actually always been something that is a persistent presence in life. Uh, you know, the, the only time I got somewhat of a reprieve uh, to a certain degree, because that experience also gave me an opportunity to see how, and the word that I use is that is it is very insidious. You know, you don't realize how many places it shows up. So I lived in Japan for about three years. And while I was there, there was a certain level of freedom, you know, that you don't have with the constant microaggressions. But with that also came very interesting questions. Um, You know, the question of whether I was a single mom or whether or not I lived in a ghetto. or, you know, people, you know, feeling that they're coming to me with a positive question, asking me to sing a jazz song at a concert. I'm like, I sing in the shower, Uh, you know, that's about it. Um, So, you know, it really made me really think about where is this messaging coming from? You know, and one of the things I had a chance to do was to, one of my escapes, of course, always is the movies. And so I would go to the movies and I would be the crazy lady laughing before everybody else got the joke because it was in subtitles. (laughs) But the other thing that it really showed me was that there is this constant feeding of information about what it is to be Black that is based on a certain culture's persistent depiction Mm -hmm. of of color. So I remember, you know, all of a sudden I I 
stop going to movies as an escape and I start going just to see, you know, what the message was. And it was their prostitutes. You know, that was the one thing I, I kept watching. Like, why is all, why are the, the prostitutes in the movie black? Or their um, drugged, you know, drug dealers or on drugs coming from poverty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, or mean or angry. And right. that was the persistent message. Right. Or a single mother who's struggling and doesn't have exactly. any money and, um, or, a, or a service worker in terms of a cleaning person or something like yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. So that's the persistent messaging. And, you know, when I came back to the States, it took on a new level of, understanding, you know, it kind of opened my eyes even more because I, I started to go back to comments that people, you know, always made. Um, you know, there was this level of shock. For example, I remember once I was in college and I went to a, a dinner with one of my professors and a gentleman sitting next to me said, oh, did you go to boarding school? And I'm like, no, I you didn't go to boarding school. And I don't ask why you know, that's a, a thing that I just don't ask for a long time. I know what's coming. So he's like, well, where did you learn to eat so properly with knife and forks? And I'm like, at home with my family at the dinner table, right? And so there's this other side of uh, this whole question of racism where there is this preset concept of what a person of color is. Yep. And then when you don't fit into that bubble, you're different. Right. And I I am not different. You know, I've had people, this is another thing that ha- has happened to me and a lot to my um, sister as well, is that before Zoom, <laughs> you know, and before all of the video, we communicated by phone. And so I'd have great conversations with people and then I would show up and you literally feel the pause. <gasps> She's black. Oh, wow. Right? And so I've had people say to me, well, you don't sound black. And I'm here thinking, I know so many people of color. A great deal of my friends and colleagues are people of color and they sound like me. American. American. (laughs) And so I was born in Jamaica. And so one of the things that people also do as well, it's because, and I, I, I feel very clear that I do not see myself as a different type of person of color, because that is a very divisive move. You know, well, you're different from you know, people of color from, no, I'm not, you know, in the, in the end, at the end of the day, we're all looked at and viewed at the same way. Yeah. You know, um, so I, that is one of the very divisive tools is to say, well, you're different. I'm not different. I have people in my life, people of color from all walks of the world and we experience the same thing. 
we have the same experience. It's a shared experience. Mm-hmm. So there's no need for me to be differenti- differentiated because your exposure to people of color has been limited, right? So mm-hmm. it's, it's a interesting dynamic there. You know, it's interesting you're talking about this. It is really about your ex- exposure of white people. Our exposure is limited because like you said, we watch these movies that are created by white people who put people of color into these stereotypical situations and choose that you know they're gonna be at the lower economic end of, of, uh, of the world. Yet there's so much available to us to be, to really see the experience of people of color and to see that we are really all the same, you know, in a lot of ways, you know, there's movies, there's, there's so many movies out now that are, um, that women of color are seen as an executive. Like, yeah. like I, I just watched with one with uh, Taraji B. Henson, that was um, What Women Want. Oh yeah. It was a remake of a yeah. movie that was done with, um, Oh, her name is escaping me, but a blonde white woman. And she, it was great. And it was just a woman and a man. And there are so many opportunities for us to see that. Like if you look at BET, there's so many great shows on there now. And I think with um, Empire, I think is is a TV show that kind of moved the needle a little because I know a lot of white people who watched Empire bum that it's gone now but um so there's so many opportunities i was having a conversation yesterday with um one of my friends a woman of color and we were talking about this it's about deliberately exposing yourself deliberately saying you know what instead of watching nbc tonight i'm going to watch this movie with taraji b henson where she plays an executive or a business owner it's about making a different choice, not yeah. just the easy choice. The other thing is invite people to dinner at your home. You know, welcome, come over to my house and have dinner. I have friends in my neighborhood that are women of color. It's funny how I have more women friends, but yeah. um, and it's like, they come to my house. We hang out on my patio. That's the way to really meet people and to really get to understand that we really are the same, but different. Yeah. You know, of course we're different. We all come from different backgrounds. So um, I really appreciate you saying that the whole thing about movies, it's a choice what movies you watch. It's a choice. And television too. I mean, to be very honest, I don't have a TV. I didn't for for most of my life. I recently, you know, started watching more and um, I honestly, I don't watch regular TV. I, I do a lot of um, Netflix because simply I love to be able to get on the channel and see such range of diversity. Yeah, agreed. That speaks to me. Um, you know, it, it, I can relate to it. It doesn't matter if it's you know, a show about a black person or a Latin person, or, you know, there is a greater connection. And it's just, for me, I love being black. I love, I would never want to be white. I have no dreams of ever being white. I don't dream of being a man. I'm happy to be a woman and a woman of color. 
And so it's so nice to see a reflection of myself that is not so limited right. in these stereotypes that are totally foreign to my experience. Stereotypes that are so off base from the reality of what really is. And um, I am happy to see that there are many movies that break those stereotypes and it's up to us to choose to see those movies. It's up to us to go to Netflix and say, let me watch a movie with someone different than me because then you can see people's experience and we can start to bust those stereotypes. Yes, and I know that there has been a lot of change in that industry, so I'm looking forward to seeing you know, more women of color behind the camera, more women of color, um, you know, writing the scripts. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm excited about that. Um, there is a revolution in film with women and also women of color. And I think that's very exciting. Yeah, I agree. I think we're on the precipice now. The time is, has come. The time is now. And yeah. um, it, it didn't start with the activists and the protests that started with in May. Everybody talks about Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter has been around for a long time. Yeah. You know, and you hear this whole thing about still all lives matter and it just makes me crazy. But it's like right now we're talking about Black Lives Mattering because they didn't matter for the last 300 years. Yes. So exactly. we've got to focus now on Black Lives. Of course, all lives matter, but all lives have always mattered to a higher degree. So that's why the focus is. And then you get into the whole political thing about the stand and what they, you know, what, um, what they want to do and what they want to change. And I disagree with that. Just forget all of that. The whole point is we've got to come together as a, as a, a nation to really recognize that now is the time for us as individuals to make the difference. You know, Regina Ross last week, shared a lot of her corporate experience as you did in terms of that person who was just pushed forward, let's get them out, let's make them resign. We don't wanna take the hard path of actually firing him and then having him or her um, sue us back because that's what they're thinking. We're gonna get sued if we fire this person. Um, and she was saying, you know, you don't let go of your leanings as it comes to racism when you leave your house and come to work. Right. It just doesn't happen. You're still the same person. So I think this is not a black problem or a white problem. It's a people problem that we've yeah. got to hold up a mirror to ourselves and say, listen, if I'm sitting in my car waiting for somebody and I see a black kid coming down the street and I lock the door, I got a problem because that I, I, happens every day. Know. For me, I think it's it's important that we are acknowledging it, mm -hmm. right? You know, I remember, you know, when President Obama was elected, I remember reading in the newspaper that we now live in a post-racial society. And I wondered where, who is this person that's living in a, po where, and where is it? I would love to go. <laughs> well, when you talk about a backlash, Yes. So that's my point. Talk about a backlash. And I mean, for what has happened in the last four years, I am truly, truly grateful that now, you know, the majority 
of us Americans can say there is something as systemic racism. I don't know that we would, we didn't say that four years ago. So now, you know, in gratitude to the last four years, because we have to always look for that silver lining, mm -hmm. that's where it is, is that we are not living in denial. At least the majority of us are no longer living in denial that there is such a thing as systemic racism. And when President-elect Biden gave his speech and one of his mandates was to stamp out systemic racism, that was, for me, an unheard of statement that the highest office, the person who stood in the highest office of the United States actively recognized that this is an issue and that it needs to be eradicated. Yeah. So that's a huge leap from four years ago. Yeah, absolutely it is. And the there is a silver lining in that. The other side of it is that you know, 49% of the country is still not even believing that the election was true. Right. So, you know, we still have, unfortunately, a long way to go, but every, every movement forward is good. Every, you know, people think, oh, this isn't 50 years ago. I mean, think about it. Ruby Bridges went, to, integrated the first school in like 1955, maybe yeah. yeah so six maybe that's a long damn time ago and we're still fighting about this stuff it's a long time ago that that people that black people got the right to vote and yet we're closing polling places to make it harder for them in their neighborhoods so yeah. don't think for a moment ladies and gentlemen that this is you know everything's rosy and you know we live in like you said the post-racial era we don't and it starts with each one of us as individuals. And I really appreciate all of you being here for this conversation. I appreciate you for just being willing to look at your own reactions, your own experience in being a white person and how you are with people of color. You know, the progressives, myself included, are usually the worst at it because we think we're enlightened, yeah. <laughs> right? And we still have a ways to go. So I urge all of you, have conversations among yourselves. You know, have these conversations and get real with what does happen for you. It's okay that you maybe get nervous when you see that black kid coming down the street because you've been socialized white. You grew up thinking that, you were told that. And it's not okay anymore not to face it and not to do something about it. So I really urge all of you, there's so many opportunities. We talked about Netflix, there's great documentaries, there's great books, but more importantly, there's simply having conversations and making a decision to, to look at movies that star black people, to watch television shows that now show black people in a great light to invite that person you work with to your home for dinner or to your home for coffee or to your backyard because you can't have people in the house. But it's up to us to make these inroads. And I cannot thank you enough, Monique, for this conversation. 
for you sharing your heart, for sharing your experiencing your experience, for opening up that big trunk that you had in the basement and have been holding things like this in. So thank you so much. What would you, what would you, anything you want to leave our uh, listeners, viewers with before we go, anything that you can suggest or anything else you want to say before we close out? I really, I mean, I have more conversations. Um, It's a long way away from getting rid of racism in this country, Um, but we have acknowledged it. So that's the first step, you know, our, country has been founded on racism, you know, a lot of different um, structural and systemic policies. And so it, it, it will take a great deal to unravel that. Um, and it will be uncomfortable and it will be, you know, challenging. Um, but we are stronger together always. So it will be worth it in the end. I know that we have a lot of time now. You know, one of my concerns is that we have a lot of time now where we have time to to think and reflect about these ideas. And once we get back to, you know, I don't like this word, but the new normal, so to speak, this is not something for us to put down you know, we still have to, to do the work and it will require work from everyone. So um, I'm just, again, happy that the, 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 it has been acknowledged and that more and more people are being courageous to have these conversations and that we're having it together. So I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to be here. So thank you. Thank you, Monique. I appreciate you so much. And I appreciate all of you for being a part of this conversation and for sharing this with um, your tribe on Facebook and for having the conversations yourselves. Thank you, everybody. We'll see you again next week for another Sister to Sister. Trish Carr, Monique Blake, signing off. Thank you so much. Bye-bye.